intergalactic Again, welcome to the Galactic Railroad. Is that better? Way okay. better. Uh, hi, welcome to the Intergalactic Railroad. I'm Max. That's Mike. That's Mike. Oh, hi. That's Mike. And Mike. we t- today we got uh, Andy on the podcast. AP Andy from the Antifada and author of the freshly out book, I Want to Believe. Hello. Thank you for having cool. me. Cool. Uh, thanks for coming on. It's uh, it's an honor to uh, talk to anyone outside of my small apartment right now. <laughs> that was the most formal introduction this show has ever created. <laughs> or ever will, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we actually introduce all three of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, your, your book just came out on 420. Was that on purpose? It was a, a synchronicitous happy accident. Nice. It was, the, it was the space comrades hooking it up. I when the publisher released, uh, put out something saying the release date was 420, I said, is this for real? And he's like, yeah, why? I'm like, 420. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, just our books always come out on the 20th. And he had right. no idea why I was psyched. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that's that's probably for the best. Um, so you're... It's is uh this book's called I Want to Believe. What's the, the subtitle? I had it up, I lost it. Um, what it. I always forget to. Posadism, UFOs, and apocalypse communism, something like that. Yep. Um. So, so you this this is a real book. This is not like a meme, ideology type book, right? You did research. Oh yeah, I spent two and a half years going through archives oh, in shit. Europe, South America, Mexico, California. Uh, wow. I talked. I talked to um, ex-Posadists, current Posadists. There are current uh, Posadists. I I talked to other Trotskyists, and yeah, really uh, threw my whole life into it. It was very fun, very weird thing to do, but it's it's definitely a real book. Cool. Um, so why are the why are the archives all over the world then? Um, I understood yep. that Posadism was sort of, was uh, founded in Argentina. Well, it was uh, an international, like uh, like the second international, or third international, oh. or fourth international. Um, Posadism split from the fourth international. It claimed to be the real fourth international, but <laughs> within a few years, just called itself the fourth international Posadist, and they had chapters, uh, you know, mostly in Latin America, but also in Europe. Uh, and in North Africa. So um, the the main archives are in Amsterdam and London because uh, the European Posadists made sure to, to put everything carefully away. Um, but then there's also some stuff I found in Argentina, in, uh, in uh, Ur- Uruguay, and also Stanford has a Trotskyism archive from the US SWP. And so I found some secondary stuff there of them talking about the Posadists, usually in horror. <laughs> so, so this is confirming that uh, the meme space of the Fifth International is still available, right? The Fifth International has been called for um, 
I think in the the 80s initially, some Trotskyists called for the creation of a fifth international, and then Hugo Chavez championed that call uh, in the late 90s or early 2000s. And the contemporary Posadists actually agreed with Chavez's call for a, a fifth international, but I don't think anything ever came of it. So, so if you yeah. want, if you want to make a new one, you'd have to make the sixth international. Oh. I guess the six could do, but like the 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 V would be solid. It'd have just like a oh, big yeah. red flaming V. We'd be like, <laughs> we are the biocosmist immortalists, and we are here to all that. But well, uh, the Fifth International's <laughs> logo is uh, the five, and like the curve of the five is the sickle, which is really nice. Way better oh, than yeah. the four. What's the the four is a sickle too, or no? The four is it's just a four. It's just oh, a four, okay. like inserted into the sickle and hammer, and it's. <laughs> I mean, it has its elegance, but it's not like the five. Ooh, I guess we could be the sixth international and just have the mark of the beast, huh? <laughs> just yeah. Oh, oh shit! So I open, I open the window, and that's okay. Um, I don't know much about Trotskyism. I was just informed today that it's sort of a cordyceps that infiltrates other radical groups and then causes them to explode and cast its spores. Is that true? Well, the. There was a strategy of entryism proposed by Trotsky in the uh, 30s, um, okay. mostly in relation to anti-fascist popular fronts and united fronts. And after the war, um, entryism became kind of its own thing in the post-war Trotskyist International, which of course Trotsky was not a part of. Uh, but I think through the, the general uh, fact that Trotskyism has always been very minoritarian and always seeking to uh, provide outdue influence to the broader left, um, mm -hmm. that it has this reputation of going into larger groups or starting front groups or, uh, you know, causing trouble in larger groups to try to pull out members for their group. Um, so it has this reputation uh, through the idea of entryism, which is not necessarily so malicious, but uh, has been at times. Do you, do you consider yourself a Trotskyist or Posadist before I start making aspersions? No, I'm uh, through researching Trotskyism and Trotsky really hard for the last three years. It has not made me like him anymore. But uh, <laughs> okay. I do, I have come to a certain appreciation of the sort of um, perspective on militancy that Trotskyists have that I think is, is you know, just comes from Bolshevism, just comes from Leninism. Uh, and I, I think it's really lacking in sort of my milieu, which is more, you know, ultra-left, anti-authoritarian, left communism kind of stuff. When you say militancy, do you mean um, weapons or do you mean specialization? Or something uh, like Neither. I, I, by militancy, I, like, uh, I mean more commitment to the the program of the party, its goals, you know, the lifestyle of being a militant means that like, you know, if you're, if you, when you reach a certain level, it becomes your job. Like you, you, you mm -hmm. get paid to do it um, in the Bolshevik tradition, the professional revolutionary. Uh, wow. But, but generally it, it just means like, like you're in the army, like this is what I do. I'm a communist. Like in, in the milieu that I grew up in, people kind of treat it more as a hobby or as a counterculture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, I, I'm I'm an anarchist. I have the right clothes. I uh, go to the right punk show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but anarchists think that militancy means like you get a gun and you're doing something sketchy with it, which is not necessarily <laughs> militancy.
in in Spanish, actually, um, it's it's pretty common to say like uh, there, there's a verb militar. militar. So they, they'll okay. say like I, I militated with this group um, oh. for these years, and it doesn't mean that they joined the army or anything. It means like they were they were part of the ISO or the Posadists or whatever for a certain amount of time. But it's like the get down. Like I got down with these people. Yeah, like they were they were like making the newspaper, going to the meetings, distributing it, going to protests, that kind of thing. Like they were really in it. Mm -hmm. That's great. It would be good to have a verb for that in American. Um, Just militating, you know. We're, we're militating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, we'll bring it back. Uh, we're. Um, can you give us a little rundown on Posadism? Because we're like space communism adjacent, but I don't. There seems to be like multiple layers of Posadism. So what did you learn in the in in our, un, uncovering these archives? All well, yeah, obviously most people know it from the memes, and like they'll they'll tell you what little what little they've seen from like the Wikipedia, and uh, that's my level of knowledge. Yeah, and that tends to be like the more interesting stuff. Uh, but what I found in the archives is is one that it was by and large a regular Trotskyist sect. So they were like mo most most documents were talking about what was going on in like international relations between the Soviet Union and Western Europe, the United States, the di the dynamics playing out in different trade unions and the communist parties, uh, what was happening like politically in like each individual country where there was a section, analyzing it, looking for you know, what kind of initiatives they want to put forward, like stuff that's more or less day-to-day -day boring political organizing stuff, like coordinating it on an international level. Um, but then like the more worst. interesting stuff that no that no one really knew about was that um, in the, the late 60s and through the 70s until Posadas died, uh, the movement really became a cult um, centralized in Posadas' villa outside of Rome. Uh, and he really wanted um, life in this villa and in the movement in general, but specifically in the villa, to be l like living communism, like an experiment living communism. And he would, uh, you know, through perfecting the communist life within his party, he would provide an example to the worker states and communist parties worldwide of how to live and what to do. And so he became kind of like a experimental think tank for communism in the 70s. But like with most cults, this, you know, involves a lot of weird stuff and abuse and <laughs> like strange ideas. Like, like, uh, Senor Posadas gets to say who you fuck kind of things. Yeah, well, that was actually always part of the movement, but like... You know, <laughs> Wait, <laughs> for real? Yeah, he, um, the, the discipline provided by Posadas from like the earliest days involved asking for permission uh, to who you can marry and if you could have kids and that kind of thing. Um, and you couldn't have sex outside of wedlock. That was not permitted. Uh, he was very against sex in general. So sex was supposed to be for procreation. And then if Ooh. you were married in the, in the movement, your wife or your husband was supposed to be uh, part of the movement as well. And even then um, he would split up militants. So like he would say, okay, you come to Europe, you stay in Argentina. Cause he thought that if they weren't together, this, the their libidal, libidinal energies would be directed solely for party work. Wow. So, that's exactly like the cult that I was in. <laughs> Except what was for the, that? I, it, it was a, a, a rainbow gathering 
coffee kitchen and we it was a but it, and actually there was like no there wasn't the rule about woodlock but it was all about getting people incredibly sexually frustrated so that they could they could point the so that the leader of the cult could point their energies into what he wanted them to do yeah. um it's, making coffee yeah free like like food not bomb style like free uh -huh. coffee 24 7. um but, but also you're supposed like, to be like really horned up to make the best coffee uh that's part of it yeah and also to oh, wow. attract yeah. more young women for him to prey on uh it, oh, was a, it was a bad scene i'm not a big fan of cults anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> unless well, this especially is yeah leadership cults are this this almost is always the case even in posadism where he was like so against sex um around 1974 uh he kicked his wife out of the movement because he wasn't having Ooh. sex with his wife and then uh, married or, you know, partnered with a young woman in the movement and had a daughter uh, with her. And this daughter was like the kind of messianic heir of the movement. And then I found some, I don't know exactly what happened, but I found some evidence a few years later that he was preying on another young woman. Um, and I, I do my best to uh, bring this out in the, the last chapter of the, the book, of the section on Posadas in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know. No one knows exactly what happened because everybody who was there just doesn't talk about it. Mm. Wow. Oh, okay, so mm -hmm. as far as misdirected libidinal energies go, uh, I'm supposed to explain the God Slime, and I think that maybe this relates. <laughs> it um, does sound awfully culty every time you explain it. Yeah, kind of. So, like, the, the long-term philosophical problems of, like, communism and anarchism are essentially like relating to individuals and the collective and people want to talk about personal freedom and who has what sort of authority and we pretty much collapsed this and solved it by just being like you know you don't really have uh authority over other people's bodies if you all have the one body so we'll just we'll just all sort of take our libidinal energies and like physically juice each other into each other and become one giant ocean of collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. And like the more I talk about this shit, the more it becomes exactly just the Christian heaven and it's awesome watching this idea that I don't actually <laughs> slowly go the way of like, the way like the Posadas cult went and like the, the, the God building of like the early cosmos and stuff. You can see this like travel from like, hey, maybe we should make the world slightly better. Maybe I should not be kicked in the face today. All the way over to uh, like, Okay, what we're gonna do is we're all going to fucking become slime and we're going to merge and we'll all flow downhill into the ocean and then the ocean will become sentient and we'll all be happy together forever. Oh well, yeah, I mean this is a really not not like literally what you're talking about <laughs> with the slime going in the ocean, but this is like a major theme in all kinds of like messianic and radical milieus uh, or like futurist milieus even this idea of like the total elimination of the individual and just total collectivization um, of, you know, like this kind of Spinozist like connectivity. Uh, it's, it's something that Posadas was thinking a lot about and, and really wanted to occur um, to the extent that like he literally believed in the collapse of subject and object under communism uh, and, and this this is where the stuff about dolphins comes in because he, he's like well you know we need yeah. to be not only do we need to 
be uh, have some sort of comradeship with the cosmos and, and the aliens, but also with the animals. And he thought dolphins were like the closest to us. We had the psychic link. But he also believed that we needed to have this kind of comradeship with the object, with objects in general. Like Sick. literally just like stuff. Like he called it the communist relation with the object, uh, which I think might relate in some way to object-oriented ontology. I don't really know what that means. Oh, for sure. I, I don't exactly either, but I took a, a you know, two-hour <laughs> workshop on it from some asshole, and it's exactly that. It's like, it's like the hammer and the nail have their own relationship, and you just happen to be a part of that scene today mm -hmm. when you smack the hammer into the nail. But like they are inherently related to each other more closely than the nail is to your hand, although the hammer is related to your hand. And all this that shit. makes me think of uh, Donna Haraway, like cyborg feminism type shit, of like objects slowly merging into people and likewise the opposite. Like, I, I mean, we're all like, we got, I don't know if you guys have headphones on right now, but like, I'm talking to a computer. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are people on the other side, theoretically, but we're, we're having relations with objects. Well, and I, maybe I was told one of you two is a Discord bot, so I don't know which one that is, maybe both. There's a third. Um, oh, okay. Craig, Craig, is, Craig. We used to converse more with Craig, but Craig just listens. He never talks back. That's actually the advantage of robots, which is actually disturbing. I'm of the opinion that we should have solidarity with the robots and attempt to collectively arise up. Yeah. Um, we're, so we're wait, dolphins. Also, a long-term project to build an anarchist artificial intelligence. Yeah, and and spacefaring uh, like DNA-based life form of some kind. <laughs> which you, you can be a part of. I pretty much have to be if it's slime. Uh, let's get back to the book. What uh, you said there's a section on Posadas. Are there other sections? Well, what, what I meant by that is, uh, so the the first section of the book is sort of like Posadas' life until he find, founds his international, until he splits with the Fourth International. Mm -hmm. Then the second part is the history of the Fourth International until he dies. And then the third part is about Posadas' life after, uh, uh, Posadism after Posadas. So what- His life after death. The, the remaining Posadas do, and then how uh, how Posadas gets like reborn in this uh, popular culture meme neo-Posadism thing. And how it's taken on a life of its own, which in a way I think is kind of appropriate for what Posadism originally was, uh, which was a, um, you know, the, the guy's name was a nom de guerre that a lot of people used in in his uh, initial cadre to sign their texts. So it was never supposed to be one person, mm. but uh, but you know gradually he took the name for himself. So now that other people are you know using this cartoonish image of Posadas is not historically accurate, but not entirely inappropriate either. Mm hmm. They're taking it back. They're mm -hmm. re he, he well, that's a. Uh... He became the meme. He took upon the fiction suit onto himself, it sounds like. Exactly. Is that hyperstition? I, I don't nobody know. knows what hyperstition is. It hasn't told <laughs> well, us yet. It's some kind I mean, of stition. I frame it uh, as a question every time, I guess. <laughs> is this Death Grips? <laughs> uh, uh, so, what, uh, there was, there's, there's dolphins, and there's aliens, and there's nuclear war. That's the meme. That's the meme as I know it. Right. And can you lay out like the dolphins thing is like we got to have a relation, a, co a communism with the animals, and the dolphins are the smart animals. I get that. Mm -hmm. That's John Lilly. Like that seems like pretty. I mean, everyone wants to fuck dolphins. Everyone. That's just <laughs> normal. But aliens, nuclear war. Which which ones comes first? Nuclear like, war was 
actually very important to okay. the Posadas movement. Aliens and, and like the dolphins came in last and I think was symbolically important, but you know, no Posadas militants were ever really thinking about that. Aliens, like some of the Posadas were really into it, uh, but in, generally it was just kind of like one thing that they were into, but nuclear war was really important. And it was actually why a lot of people became Posadists in the early 60s, especially young Europeans who were like basically so infuriated by what they saw with the, the National uh, Liberation War and in Vietnam and in Algeria, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the U.S. aggression towards Cuba, mm -hmm. basically the, the way the uh, Western European and, and United States governments were, were taking on um, national liberation and socialist struggles worldwide they were like ready for there to be a third nuclear war and they were on the side of China and the Soviet Union. Um, and they thought that people who were against the proliferation of nuclear weapons or, or wanted peaceful coexistence, which was the, the Soviet policy at the time, were not, were like turning away from revolution. Um, They're and just this like letting line, the US win at that point, right? Right, exactly. And this was the line the Fourth International in general had during the 50s. Uh, but they started to back away from that in the late 50s, and that's when Posada split. So he split more for, like, you know, power struggle reasons. Like, he thought he should be in control, and they didn't want him to. Uh, but he really made um, his chauvinism for nuclear war central to how he was different. And also for the fact that he was from... He, he's got from a working-class background, and he's from a, a, a semi-colonial country. Um, as opposed to the the rest of the Trotskyist International, which was led by Europeans, mm. uh, so there was kind of this um, third worldist thing going on. Uh, but but really, they were the most uh, you know bellicose, like you know they were they were really ready for war to break out any minute. And they were supporting the the idea of a war between nation states using nuclear weapons, not like we need to personally get our hands on some nuclear weapons. Right, he wanted he wanted like the Soviet Union to win the nuclear war, hmm. um, or at least for the nuclear war to start and the Soviet bureaucracy and the imperialist states would be wiped out, leaving hmm. the Trotskyists to lead world revolution afterwards. Uh, have you uh, have you read Lilith's Brood? Uh, yeah, I have. It's essentially a Posada story, right? Like that's sort of what's going on there. How that's do you mean? The I don't. I haven't Octavia read Octavia Butler story about the man who becomes pregnant. No, no, no. <laughs> the uh, uh, it's the one where there's a nuclear war on Earth, and the last surviving humans are picked up by these aliens that show up, and they're like horny for cancer because they like genetically merge with other species, and then so they like this lady wakes up on this ship, and they're like trying to convince her that everything's fine and she should like breed with them, and then they repopulate Earth with this like new species of. It's a whole complex. It's about colonization, essentially, but the setup is very Posadist in that there's a nuclear war and aliens show up, and the aliens are way more communist than we are. And one of the more interesting things about it is that they have gender communism happening. Uh, okay, so I think I just read like one of the stories in this series, mm. um, but yeah, I, I haven't read a lot of it. Man, I actually uh, have to read that because every time you explain it, it sounds like insanity. It's great. Yeah, it's very good. It's also where the God Slime came from. The idea of like a genetic politics that's liberatory rather than like horribly racist and repressive is super fucking fascinating. Mm. But uh, 
so nuclear war would start. So this is this was the actual like thing that drew real serious communist to Posadism, not the cultishness and the like, uh, like you know, sex in wedlock stuff. It's the it's the hey we we have fallen on this side of this divide, and the fourth international is turning back from this 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 uh, standpoint that we have. Is that right? Yeah, like. Uh, a lot of people became Maoist for that reason because they thought Mao was a little bit more aggressive. A lot of people were obviously into Che Guevara because Guevara made statements in favor of nuking New York and stuff like that, like through throughout the sixties. Um, so uh, Posadas was someone you could support who had those opinions, but wasn't, um, but still had these like Bolshevik principles. Uh, that were somewhat like outside of a state project. So it attracted a certain kind of, it was always small, it attracted a certain kind of person, uh, but that was his main kind of marketing uh, gimmick in the early 60s. Um, but also that kind of fell apart because the uh, the Posadists that were active in Cuba and um, the guerrilla war that Posadists was the ideological figurehead of a short time uh, in Guatemala um, went south really fast. So. Uh, by the, the mid-60s, um, most of the Posadists taking on this kind of guerrilla war, like push the conflict to nuclear war kind of thing, were like in prison or jailed. And uh, he kind of had, he had to back away from the the more uh, warlike uh, aspects of his politics by the end he of the 60s. He was captured and tortured at one point, right? Not, uh, I, I haven't found any evidence of that. Um, he, he was arrested in Uruguay. Um, and he was held in the military barracks, but he was treated humanely. Um, like I, I found a document of him talking about how like the the soldiers guarding them like liked them a lot and like let them smuggle in candy and stuff like that. So uh, the the rumor is that he was the, everyone who says that he was tortured. I, it's just it's a rumor that has like no basis. I've never met any of the people who are in the movement who have heard that. It's interesting that there's so much mythology around this person that uh, I thought that it was just a simple, like, two-level, you know, there's this meme space about dolphins and aliens and nuclear war, and then there's, like, Posadas, who was the guy who, you know, got cracked in the head by a fucking billy club or something and then started a cult or something. Uh, like, And that's also a myth. It's fucking interesting. I mean, he might have, like... Uh, he was he he grew up in like really bad poverty and suffered from malnourishment and um, he did get like arrested a few times in his youth uh, so it's not impossible that like something ha happened to him that made him kind of crazy but I think the most plausible explanation is he was just you know like manic in some way like uh, he had some personality disorder mm. that made him kind of you know like not sleep very much and have like a lot of utopian visions and so like in uh, our time he would have become a podcaster then <laughs> uh oh <laughs> apparently he was an amazing speaker but oh. um he was more of just like the archetypal cult leader you know like he was incredibly charismatic uh he was funny like and he could like sit you down and talk to you and kind of like reprogram you just by sort of like feeling you out he was a people person mm -hmm. and um which is you know when you read like Posadas newspapers are available on, on Marxist.org. And when you read that stuff, you're like, why would anyone join this movement? These texts are 
insane. They're incredibly long. They don't really say much. But apparently when you saw that stuff live, when you like really saw him, you you were just uh, hypnotized by it. I can I can think of some people like that these days. Uh, shit that uh, doesn't make sense, but it sounds good and it's very uh, charismatic. I just heard a bird whistle. Never mind. I'm shut. <laughs> um, t- what about aliens? We're we love aliens. Well, yeah, it's so unclear how we feel about aliens, but I, how do they? How do the, how do Posadas feel about aliens, and how do you personally feel about aliens? Officially, we are aliens. That's yeah, that's right. Podcast, but we've been kind of dropping it lately tend to be human and actually talk to humans. So you're you're not robots, but you are alien. That's good to know. Yeah. yeah. It's important to become uh, Xenic. Mm-hmm. Well... <laughs> Thank you for humoring us with that. Very kind. Mm-hmm. I've just never heard that word before. It's a cool word. Oh, nice. Um, well, uh, aliens are uh, for Posadas. You know, he believes in them. He has some strange ideas about what they might be like. But mostly, he wants people to not worry too much about aliens and worry about making communism on Earth, making oh. us worthy of aliens uh, visiting us. Uh, but really, he only wrote about it well, one, like uh, one time publicly and like a few times privately. So oh. it was kind of just like a given for him. It's just like, yeah, they're aliens. They're more advanced than us. They could help us if they ever came, but there's no reason to expect that they would. Uh, but Dante Minizzoli, who was another Posadist um, in charge of the European section until the mid-70s, was a, a big believer in aliens and really thought that uh, the UFO phenomena should be a, a central part of the movement and, and fought for that at different times. Um, and then after he left the movement, he wrote a book called Why Don't the Extraterrestrials Make Public Contact, which was like really the, the Posadist UFO book. It's only in Italian. Um but that's, you know, the full Posadist treaties on UFOs um, with all kinds of pseudo-archaeology and uh, ufological theory and, uh, you know, dialectical analysis of, like, the way the cosmos works and such. Okay, um, so yeah. in terms of uh, the arc of history being long and tending towards communism, there's this idea that I got from somewhere that maybe... I, I thought I got it from Posadas, but... Uh, that uh, the longer a civilization exists, the more communist it becomes, and so aliens are probably communist, is like an idea that I had in my head at one point. And it's interestingly, as a, at like, I was, what do you think about dark forest theory? Like in um, the three body problem where aliens don't contact us because it's too fucking risky to talk to alien species, which is like the opposite of communism. Um, the uh, the like tendency of civilizations to collapse rather than flourish. Well, I haven't read the three body problem. I, I really should, uh, but uh, like if you um, if you look at the the Drake equation, um, you know obviously there's a lot of ways to fill out the Drake equation. You could fill it out and and think that there's almost no chance that alien civilization could exist outside of Earth, but. Uh, the, the more optimistic way of filling it out, the way Sagan and, and Shklovsky filled it out, uh, was that there's you know millions of communicable civilizations in the galaxy, and so it's we should just you know send out like a, a record and hopefully they'll get it. Um, that so in that theory, um, a, a big part of it is longevity, like the the idea that they have to 
not only do they have to exist, but they have to exist for a very long period of time to overlap with us existing right now. Um, so if there's gonna be that kind of longevity, they will have uh, had have needed to overcome or pass entirely the situation we're in right now where we're on the verge of wiping ourselves out. Um, so this is something that they debated when they came up with the Drake equation. Like, yeah, we can communicate with uh, other solar systems right now, but we might not exist for another 20 years. So um, it, we don't even count as a civilization uh, overlapping with any civilizations right now because there's not enough time to make that communication. So not uh, only- They're light years away, right? They couldn't right. even have sent us a message by the time that they noticed us. Yeah, so realistically, when when Sagan says that there's like these these millions of civilizations, they have to, uh, these are civilizations that are, are like completely sustainable. And if they are going out and, you know, like the aliens in Independence Day, locusts like just eradicating everything around them, that's not sustainable. There's just not enough planets for them to do that for for millions of years. Um, so Sagan and Shklovsky believe that these aliens will be peaceful uh, and they'll live in some peaceful coexistence with each other. And this is what, you know, Minnesota and Posadis believed as well. And I think it's the most plausible explanation if there were these many, many civilizations. Um, so the idea that, uh, this common idea really, that like if, if another civilization comes and greets us, like we're just fucked. Like they're just going to use us as slaves, or wipe us out, or treat us like insects, um, or harvest us for our genetic information, like in Lilith's Brood. Yeah, or any 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 other like uh, you know bad outcome for that. Um, I don't think there's any reason to expect that because it's just not a sustainable way to be. Uh, I, they're not necessarily going to be communists or, or Marxists or something like that. It doesn't make much sense either. Uh, but <laughs> they're like, we heard of your marks. We have yeah. many questions. <laughs> yeah, Pasadas actually writes about this at one point. He's like, yeah, they're not going to be Marxists because, like, you know, it, you know, if they if they achieve communism, like, once you achieve communism, you don't need Marx anymore. Well, it's actually right. it is somewhat plausible in terms of okay. So the dark forest theory is essentially that civilizations want to continue to exist. And there's a limited amount of resources in the universe, so they are they tend to see each other as competition and wipe each other out, so that they have a larger share of the universe, which is not just expanding, but also the resources are going away. So they have to do the locust thing, is the theory. And as opposed to this, like you get the early cosmist idea, or like a more like Juch idea of like humanity conquering the universe, being essentially one of those civilizations as described. Um, going out and like harnessing nature to our technological means to create a more perfectly human universe. Uh, in that, if there's no other life elsewhere, and humans actually successfully do that, uh, what's to stop you know people from like in the cosmos sense bringing the dead back to life in the distant future, and then those are the aliens. Like once you get into this shit, it's like. Uh, as long as we're talking about aliens, why why aren't we just talking about the full range of like spiritual uh, bullshit? I guess. <laughs> well, well, for the Posadas, aliens were just a it's, it's like a materialist question, like why like how in nature could there just be like one civilization 
existing in the vastness of the universe. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's just pure exceptionalism. Bourgeois exceptionalism, really. <laughs> to just think that, like, human civilization is the only one that could ever exist. So it wasn't a spiritual quest. I mean, Pisanus does get very spiritual at times, but he always couches it in materialism. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, like, why are there limited resources? Like, what? that's just... Like, what kind of narrative is that? Like, is there limited resources in the rainforest? Like, is the rainforest gonna wipe its, it's like one tree gonna become the, the like the tree that wipes out all the other ones? Like, this, these are these are questions of, of a really fucked up human civilization that's dying, not questions of nature in general. Yeah, it's interesting how um, personal problems are extrapolated as you go into the distant, like the way people think about the distant future starts to just become pure psychology. Exactly. Yeah, and, and we, we talk about this the way we talk about what the conquistadors did when they found the new world. Like, these strangers are going to come and wipe us out because they want to live here or they want to use us as slaves. Like, yeah, Europeans did that. That doesn't mean that's like, that doesn't mean that's the natural thing to do. Yeah, it also means, though, that contacting aliens, you could, people assume that they'd be Christopher Columbus, but they might just be like, someone from this continent contacting Europeans and telling them to come over and be conquistadors is like the other half of these stories, you know, the, uh, I think, uh, I think the, the dark forest theory specifically is like based off of kind of off of game theory with the idea that if there is another, it could be the problem being unlike in the rainforest, like the distance between stars is so great and the amount of energy required to move between them is so large especially for like moving a physical body like your you know one of us or 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 a you know a dalek or something that's better suited to space travel but uh because of that it is actually if you if you see another civilization like if you see their star winking in a way that seems to be messaging and you're like oh there's a there's a, uh, alien life out there if you have the capability to destroy them uh, it makes more sense to just destroy them rather than to go over there and try to shake hands and find out if they have smallpox or Wendigo and if they're gonna like if it might it might be that they're cool it might be that they're like down with the, the, the Galactic International and they're gonna like induct us into like all the cool hip parties and stuff in space but you can never know that they're not just some fuck this Sorry, I'm always looking out my window at this like guy with a three percenter flag in his window. You can never know that it's not that fucking guy, and it's just gonna shoot you when you get there. So, in the game theory of it, is very like, I mean, it's very like brand corporation, um, mutually assured destruction logic. It's like as soon as you hear a peep from the universe, you have to kill that thing first, and that is so that more than the just the limited like amount of energy and space. It's like this, this, uh, this negotiation or like or like uh budget budgeting energy budgeting that you have to do um in modern that, neoliberalism essentially to bring it back to psychology <laughs> that's, that's right, something that's right. going on is like on the bus you don't hear it's hard sometimes to like especially now with social distancing it increasingly is a dark forest problem where like do they have the disease you know yeah huh uh, and it's not even something that they would do on purpose it's like are they going to kill me or my grandma? Like, whether or not they are actually trying to. It's not even a communication problem, it's a communicable disease problem. And like, the uh, the psychology of the dark forest is 
this is why like Posadism is interesting and good and even though it's like a crazy cult that we live in a civilization that is absolutely built on the tenets of this dark forest methodology and like the uh, possibility of not doing that doesn't seem realistic which is like totally tragic this, this would be like to a, the Posadas or this, uh, what was it, Dante Minazzoli? Is that his mm-hmm. name? It, um, these, uh, sorry, I was tempted to do like an Italian joke, but I'm not Italian. The Italians have been going through a lot lately. But yeah. So, but the, these guys were, um, they were, they're thinking, hey, if you see somebody and that person is capable of communicating with you, they've already gone through so much shit that they, to become a communicating person, that they're likely to be friendly and you should talk to them. Um, yeah. Is it- well, because they've, not only that, but they've existed for millennia. Right. Like, yeah, like they successfully, they're like an adult species. Right. right. Uh, adult, okay. Um, I Should we send another record with just with like capital volumes one through three on it? <laughs> just start beaming it into the cosmos? Let's see if we can attract them? Well, if they found, like I said, if they found it, they'd just be like, oh, man, they're going through some some shit right now. Like, they have classes, they have <laughs> merchants, and they're exploiting surplus value. Like, why? Like, He's really stinking up the bus back there. Like, that guy smells like this, and he's trying to talk to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. like when, uh, you know, when, when Europeans describe, like, how backwards... Uh, Aztec civilization was. It's like, oh, they have these kings and they just, everyone's a slave and they're building these pyramids <laughs> for no reason and they <laughs> sacrifice each other. Like, it's so not like us, you know. Not like us yeah. here in our upside down pyramids made of wood that float. Yeah. <laughs> we have thousands of years of civilization and they started to exist as soon as we found them. So they're roughly five years old. Uh, yeah, but I think like the contribution of Posadism is, uh, is bringing those ideas of uh, Sagan and Shklovsky, um to like it's just you know putting those in Marxist terms, like saying that the problems that we have are like unique to this you know moment of history, and we have everything we need right now to overcome them. We don't need aliens to intervene, um, and and that's like the really beautiful thing about Posadism is this uh, complete optimism for the other, whether that be an alien or, you know, the internationalist, uh, you know, worker of another world or, or an animal, you know, like we're all in it together and it's only capitalism that's dividing us. Um, but then like, you know, the other thing about Posadism is that they, they fully expect there to be an epochal disaster that must happen first for us to be able to break down those barriers. So in their time, it was nuclear war. In our time, it may well likely be nuclear war or something like this pandemic is going to, uh, you know, so put capitalism into economic and ideological crisis that may, maybe finally things can change. Yeah. But I don't think we're there yet. That's sort of another thing that they were kind of ahead of the time zone of crisis communism as a response to like crisis capitalism. Of, mm-hmm. uh, like well, maybe, I mean, that's that's just Leninism, like, or you know, but you, you, you find that in Marx as well. Like in uh, in in Volume Three, he, he of Capital, Marx talks about the the tendency of the rate of profit to fall, and I mean, that sets the stage for breakdown theory in in the Marxist tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, Lenin had a kind of um, a different 
take on that where, where he thought like well world war one is going to make is going to just totally wreck the old world and is going to open the door for us to lead a new order in its wake and uh you know that worked in russia and then he tried to expand it to the rest of the world and then it, it was not the right time and so leading into world war ii trotsky believed now this is our time like this war is going to be way worse than world war one and uh after there's finally going to be a chance for the proletariat to take power with us leading the way that didn't happen so after the war the Trotskyists thought, well, there's going to be a World War III. And then, so it just became like a prophecy at this point. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it wasn't Passaz's idea at all. But it's very millenarian also. It's like, would you, when you say it's like a prophecy, it's like the the whole waiting for the, yeah. the crisis to come uh, so that you can be, so that you can then take over and do the, do the communism. That's like, that's very uh, Heaven's Gate or recognizing the crisis is one set of skills but then like the whole identification you know like what the millenarians did identifying the pope as the antichrist and then like having this like almost sublingual uh superstitious view of power is very much like uh the the leaning in towards like wing nuttery is this interesting way of dealing with political failure and then it becomes like free energy like free libidinal <laughs> energy you know what's right. that max how do you refer to that like the, the orgon you mean orgon the mental space that's not being taken up by advertising the advertising like <laughs> colonizes your mind for all the parts of your mind that you're not using all the dead space in there and like crises produce dead space in there and there's like this mental vacuum for a second when people are in shock essentially and then as soon as the crisis is over all the forces of the earth kind of like rush in there to like redefine your view of the world, you know? Yeah. Like they, they eat your free belief. That's yeah. what I call it. Uh, free belief. Not free energy, free belief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. It's like the fourth international was backing off of the, the nuclear war, the pro the pro nuke stance and all these people had to, this cognitive dissonance. And uh, here comes, um, Mr. Posadas and uh, he and saying, hey, no, we're with that. And we're actually going to take that even farther into wacky shit. And they're like, you know what? Sign me up. I don't know what's what anymore. I think that right. I, I think you're right that a pandemic uh, like this is like an international crisis moment. And I'm, I'm very curious to see if anybody will be able to um, like treat each like look past the virus or even like become friendly or toward the virus. Or enough to be able to say like, "Hey, you down the street, like, we need to work together. It's time to create the, the communism." Or if we're going to be like further alienated into that dark forest theory type shit through this crisis. Yeah, exactly. I mean, breaking the isolation is is really important to countering these narratives of of scapegoating and xenophobia. Um, like, it's not just you know, obviously blaming the Chinese or China or even worse, Chinese people is uh, is is a really obvious you know dark horrible thing that's going on but also just generally blaming like trump or blaming the democrats or uh or whatever it's it's like uh it's allowing people to think that something went wrong like some group messed up and now we have to deal with this instead of a more materialistic explanation of like you know this is these kinds of crises are just how capitalism works right now and mm-hmm. until we have like some functioning system 
to stave these things off. That's just gonna happen over and over again and get worse and worse. And the the, the way to, to fight against that is to organize with the people that are around you um, and build power with them. And you can't do that if you're just inside all the time. So uh, yeah, that's the challenge. At the beginning of uh, at the beginning of the quarantine, like day two or something like that, I went to Weimar to pick up ammunition and a bunch of seeds. And I had like a whole handful of radish seeds and like one box of ammunition. And this other guy had like a whole armful of ammunition and one set of seeds. And we we're looking at each other. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, maybe, like both of us at the same time, we're like, shit, maybe I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why that's why you got to be able to to combine yourselves into a sort of a slime. Yeah, uh, it's been <laughs> it's been an hour here, Andy. I want to thank you for coming on. Um, sure. And I, I want you I wanted you to tell me where people can buy your book, so I can tell them. Um, so it's my pinned uh, tweet at Space Prol. Um, you can get it at uh, plutobooks.com uh, with code Posadas20 for a 20% discount. You can also get it from an independent bookstore in New York, Topos Books, uh, or you can get it from you know the normal sites. And if you do, just leave a nice review, please. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, before I go, I want to hash it out with you guys about uh, the Google the thing. We never, that was the oh, whole yeah. purpose of doing this interview. That's, right. That's how this started. For a year. You called Trump an Oogle or something like that? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> it was like some either Trump.